Well, there we have it, Living by a Higher Standard. That's a series that we're in. We're into our third of the series. Next week, we'll wrap it up with Pastor Dave coming up and sharing with us next Sunday morning. You know, if you've been here, you know that we've touched on higher or good topics about the higher life that we have. We talked about the first time about telling each other the truth. And the fact of the matter is, when we think about ourselves, that we are men and women of integrity. We are to be men and women of honesty. And we're to speak words that have to do with truth then. And so rather than falsehood, rather than deception, we're the ones who set the standard because that's the standard of our God for truth telling here in our lives. Last week we talked about showing one another respect, being people of respect. And we saw what Peter had to say about respect when he said, show proper respect to everyone, not to those who are good, not to those that we know, but to everyone we come in contact with who are called to show respect to. And that really is important for us to understand because respect is not something you earn. Respect is not something that you deserve. Respect is something that you get because you're a child of God. And so we are to respect one another in a good way to bring honor to their name. And if you were here with me, with me on Wednesday, if you happen to tune into our Wednesday Reflection, I talked about how an honoring life is a great life because an honoring life brings favor upon people who receive the honor we give them. But we also found out that honoring others brings the favor of God upon our life as well. That God favors us in a special way when we have a heart to honor other people around us. And so if you haven't tuned into that Wednesday morning reflection time, it might be a great thing for you to tune into as well. Today we're going to talk about treating each other with fairness. Now when you think about it, we live in a world that there's not a lot of, uh, there's questions about fairness if people are being fair in what they do. I mean, we look at the life and we can oftentimes realize that there's a lot of things in life that just aren't fair. And not only do we see it, but you know, even our kids see the unfairness of our world and they see the inequity that happens in uh, our world between people. And so oftentimes they'll complain to us about that's not fair. And if you've ever, ever had kids in your family, you all know that you hear that oftentimes, that's not fair. I remember for us, the classic one had to do with our, our daughter, Rachel, who couldn't sleep at night. And so what Sandy and I would do is we'd let her stay up later because we knew that if we better put her to bed the same time we put the other kids, David and Sarah, when they were that age, if we put Rachel to bed at that time, all she would do is lay in bed for the next two to three hours unable to sleep, just wondering why can't I go to sleep? And so we thought the best thing to do, simply just let her stay up. Let her stay up till she was tired, and then we'd help her to get to bed. And so that didn't sit well with David and Sarah, and they were always saying, it's not fair. It's not fair that she gets to stay up later than we got to stay up. I mean, if you're a, a parent, you've heard that. You've heard that it's not fair. How come they got the bigger piece of cake than I got? It's not fair. How come they got to do that activity, and they never got to do that activity? It's not fair. We hear it all the time. And you know what? We use that as well. Don't you feel that unfairness sometimes in the way that you're treated? You go to a restaurant, okay? There you are at the restaurant. You finally get seated. You're waiting for your food. You know that a couple at the table not too far from you came in after you came in. And what happens? They get their food before you. And what do you feel like? That's not fair. Why do they get their food now and we're still waiting for our food? Where's our food? Why hasn't it come? That's not fair that we have to wait for our food and they didn't have to wait. Well, I mean, those are the things that we feel sometimes in life. And all that means is this, that we're living in a life that's just not fair. We're living in a world that where things just don't happen out of fairness. I mean, and, and you think, you know, I'd love to have a world where everything's fair. Oftentimes we feel that way, don't we? If I was God, 
I would make this a fair world. If I was God, we would know all about fairness. If you were God, wouldn't you want everything to operate on the standard of fairness? That if people get fairness and so good things happen to good people. I mean, so if you had a... If you had children that were obedient, you, you would have a, a household that got along all the time. If you were good parents, you would raise healthy kids. If you were a, a good husband or wife, you would have a healthy relationship with each other. If you were a, a hard worker, that you would have the best paying job. If you were, you know, a loving home, nothing would happen in a destructive way in your house. I mean, we have those thoughts that if we were God, we would create a world that was based upon fairness. If we were God, we wouldn't create a world that's governed by, you know, certain people having fairness or certain people getting away with things and others don't. It would always be the good people get good things to happen in their lives. The bad people suffer the consequences of the bad actions they're committing. You know, I think about a few years ago, I came across a story about a Czechoslovakian woman. Her name was Vera Zevnik. And, and Vera had the tragical information that she learned about her husband that he was having an affair with somebody else. I mean, that he, she was being cheated on by her husband. And so she, I mean, it devastated her, as you understand. It would. And she didn't know what to do, and she struggled with that and struggled with that. And eventually, she got to the point where she says, this can't go on. I'm either going to take his life or I'm going to take my life. I mean, she just, she came to the end of herself. And she didn't feel like living any longer. And so she, in her apartment, she threw open the windows of her apartment, three stories above the street level, and she just threw herself out, intending to commit suicide by falling and crashing into the ground below. But she survived. And the reason she survived, something broke her fall. And you know what that was? It was her husband who was walking into the house that day right at the same time, and she fell on top of him. She didn't die, but you know who died that day? Her husband died. I mean, and I think about that. Go Vera. I mean, God, God go. I mean, this is, this is how life should be. But you know what? That is not the way that life operates, is it? I mean, it's only fair. We want life to be like that. If you're wicked, you deserve the consequences of your wicked actions. If you do something bad, you should experience bad consequences. You should be struck by lightning, you should be struck by a disease, or you should be struck down by a, a Czechoslovakian woman who's falling out of her window. I mean, we have those feelings that, you know what, unfairness is something that should be punished by somebody against the person who's being unfair. And you know what, we live in a world where we know that life doesn't operate like that, though. In fact, the Bible is very clear, isn't it, that, that life is not fair. I mean, you read what... King, the wisest man in the, in the world, King Solomon, the wisest man in the world, and how he saw unfairness in his world. Here he was, the king of Israel, creating a, 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 a nation that was a God-fearing nation, and yet he looked at the unfairness that was happening in the world and the nation that he was a part of. And he writes about it in Ecclesiastes. And what does he say in, in verse Chapter 3, verse 16, he says, Throughout the earth, justice is giving way to crime, and even the courts are corrupt. I mean, this is how he feels about his, the whole nation. He was the one in charge of this whole nation, and he looked at the nation he was part of, and he looked at, you know what? Crime is overtaking, justice is being lost, and the corruption of the courts are creating some of it. 
I mean, this is how he feels of the unfairness of what's going on in his own nation. In fact, he goes on to say in Ecclesiastes 8.14, sometimes righteous people suffer for what the wicked do, and wicked people get what the righteous deserve. You understand what he's saying, don't you? I mean, the innocent suffer for the things that they don't do, and the wicked get away with the things that they deserve to be you know, punished for. I mean, this is a world we live in. Solomon saw it in his world as well. So it's not anything new for us. It's been here for years and years and generation upon generation. In fact, Solomon must have been pretty frustrated because he'll say in that same book, as he's writing about, you know, the things that make life meaningless, is that, that's what he was talking about in that book. This is meaningless, this is meaningless, this is meaningless. And the things that make things meaningless is the unfairness of the world. And he'll say this, it's unfair that some good people die young while some wicked people live on and on and on. And what he's saying is it shouldn't be like that. God, why, why is it in this world that this kind of thing takes place? Why is it that a young person dies too early and the people who should die early are continuing to live on and on and on? We, we see that in our world as well, don't we? And it's like, what is going on here? You know, I think of a, a pastor, a young pastor, 33 years old, University Baptist Church, the church that he served. His name was Kyle Lake. And he was pastoring a church, caring for them, new in his position. And he's doing an adult baptism that morning. So he got into baptismal water in the tank. And he saw that the microphone was not quite, quite close enough to the, the water and to the tank. So all he wanted to do was just move the mic so it was closer to him so that he could, you know, be heard when he did the baptism. And as he reached out and grabbed that microphone, and I don't know how it worked, but an electrical circuit took place, happened where it went through the mic, through him, and down into the water. And his congregation watched him that day die from an uh, electrocution. They saw him suffer and die right in front of their eyes. It seems so unfair. I mean, God, what's going on that a young pastor who is just loving you, leading a congregation, and, and, and this happens to him? Why does something like that take place? Well, the answer is because we live in this kind of world, don't we? We live in a world where good things don't only happen to good people, but good things happen to bad people. And bad things don't only happen to bad people, but bad things happen to good people as well. And sometimes it's hard to understand why God would create a world like that where innocent people can suffer for what they do. And the answer that we have, I think, in Scripture is the fact that God created a world that was fair at one point. Fairness was the rule of the world. And yet entered sin and everything changed. Entering sin, everything changed to the point where now words were, began to be used by people where they talked about something's cursed or pain, vocabulary words that had nothing to do with the goodness of God, pain and suffering and, and toil and hardship. Those became vocabulary words used by people. And, and relationships that suffered separation and divorce and death, those became words that described the end of relationships. I mean, they were created 
Never were they to be used in the vocabulary of people, but they came into the world through the fall so that you would have Cain killed Abel. How unfair is that? But that was instituted because of the sin that was brought into this world. And you and I are left with a question. Why do good things happen to bad people and why do innocent people suffer for things that they've never done? Now, we could just say that we're not as good as we think we are, right? We could just say that we're not as innocent as we kind of imagine we are. And so when bad things happen to us, I mean, it could be more the fact that we are not deserving to have that pass over us, but we might be more deserving to have us experience that than we really want to admit. And there's some truth in that. I mean, we understand that there's things that happen in our world where we like to think that we're innocent, but we're really not innocent in what's taking place even though we'd like to imagine us being innocent. And there's things like that in our world. But there are things that we really are innocent. I think of Job. and the fact of the matter, he was a righteous man before God. God even said that. Look at Job, my servants. Look how righteous he is. He told that to Satan. Look how righteous this guy is. And, And you know how Satan said to him, you know, he's only righteous because you're good to him. Turn that around and he won't be speaking such good things about you. And so there, that was the test on Job's life. That was a God proving to the Satan that here was a man who was really righteous. And so he lost his family, he lost his wealth, he lost his health, and, and still Job remained righteous before him. In fact, he even had people who thought, you know what, Job, you're not as innocent as you think you are. I mean, he had friends who said, you know, Job, it's time to confess your sin. For this to be happening in your life means that there's something in your life that you're not admitting to and you need to admit to it. So I want you, we want you to admit that, what, what you've done. Examine your heart, look at your life, and just admit the fact that there's some sin lurking in the darkness of your life. But you know what? Job knew that that was not the case. He knew that he had done absolutely nothing that would cause him to go through what he was going through. And the reality is that sometimes we experience things like that in our lives. That's because we live in a world where life is no longer fair. So what are we to do about it? Well, the question that I want to ask today is, and I'm not trying to answer the question of why there's unfairness in our world, but here's the question I want to talk about with you today. How do we respond at a higher standard? If you and I are called to live by a higher standard, as I'm encouraging you to think about, what is the higher standard that we are to live by when we live in an unfair world. Or let me bring it home to you even more. How are we to respond when we personally experience something that was unfair? Then when we have been personally treated unfairly or dishonestly or something been mistreatment been directed against us, how do we then in that kind of a world, how do we respond to the unfairness that we've experienced? That's what I want to do. How would we live to the, up to the higher standard that we been called to live to and have these kind of unfair things happen to us okay that's what i want to talk about here's i got three things i want to share with you about that here's the first and it really comes down to the choices that we make in these situations and let me give you the first thing that we need to remember when we believe personally that we're being treated unfairly in this situation here's the first thing that we need to do we need to choose to respond in love we need to choose to respond in love And the model for us is our Lord Jesus Christ himself, right? 
I mean, he always chose to respond in love to the people around him, even when he was being unfairly treated. I mean, you think about what Peter said in in 1 Peter 2. He said, when they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. Now, you know the setting he's talking about. Setting is the cross. Jesus is dying for our sins. It says, and when they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. See, so Jesus chooses in that moment to continue to love the people around him. In fact, he said to his father, Father, forgive them, which is a demonstration of love. Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. It's out of love that he responded the way. It was Jesus who said, love your enemies and pray for those who hurt you. Bless those who are opposed to you, persecute you. I mean, we see that he chose to love rather than choose to retaliate. And that's all I'm saying. I'm saying that when we live in this higher standard that God has called before us, he set the standard, didn't he? By showing us that even when people intentionally are trying to hurt us or destroy us or to you know, create pain in us, we are to respond in love to them. You know, one of the greatest educators in America lived in the late 1800s. His name was Booker T. Washington. He was a great educator, an African-American man who had come out of slavery. At that point, he had born into slavery. He came out of slavery. I mean, think of the transition that was taking place in the world at that point and how slaves, when we worry about African-Americans being mistreated in our world today, that's when they were really being mistreated, many of them, in that world. That's the world that he came out of. Obviously, he experienced injustice. Obviously, he experienced unfairness. But you know what? Here's what he said about that. Listen to this. He said, I will let no man drag me down so low as to make me hate him. That's the choice he made. That's how we saw the situation. I'm not going to be overcome by this unfairness. I'm going to overcome this fairness by not letting anybody drag me down so that I feel that I hate them. That was his decision. And he lived by it. See, why was he able to, under, to do that? Because here's what he understood. Henry said that even though he wasn't able to control those who treated him the way that they did, he was able to control his response to the way, the mistreatment that he received. And so he was not going to let anyone bring him down to the lower level and cause him to hate them for what they were doing to him. Rather than getting bitter, he responded to them in love. And, you know, and we have an example in Scripture, don't we? King David himself. And we've looked at his life many times here at the church. And we looked at how David, when he was fleeing from Saul, who was out to get him, treated him unfairly. David loved Saul and recognized the authority of Saul. But he was treated so unfairly by Saul as he tried to, to you know, take his life that David went into hiding, fleeing from him, and he's hiding back in a cave. You know the story when Saul comes in, he had the opportunity, David had the opportunity to take his life right at that moment. David waited. And he saw Saul leave. And as he saw Saul got back in, in line with the troops, and the, and the troops who were out to find David marched away from where David was. When David saw the distance was safe enough for him to go out, he went out of the cave and he shouted out to Saul, May the Lord avenge the wrongs you have done to me, but my hand will not touch you. 
For as the old saying goes, from evil doers come evil deeds, so my hand will not touch you. In other words, what David understood is this. Evil people do evil things to innocent people, and you're doing evil things to me as an innocent person, and bad things happen because people to good people, and it's unfair. But that doesn't mean I have to respond to you in the same way that you responded to me. And that's what he's saying there. See, and, and, and here's why he, said he, why he said that. Because he understood something about the mercy of God in this situation. Because he goes on to say that, or Jesus goes on to say this. But I tell you who hear me, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you, do to others as you would have them do to you. David, King David, understood that's the principle of somebody who follows God. That they love their enemies, they do good to those who hate them, they bless those who curse them, they pray for those who mistreat them. And so David is a great example that when it comes to people who are intentionally being unfair to us by mistreating us for something that we didn't do or they, that we didn't even think about doing. I mean, and that's coming against us. What do we do? We take the higher road, don't we? And we love them. We show love to them. We respond in love. Let me give you another choice that we have. And the choice is to trust in God in those situations. We need to choose to trust God in those moments. I mean, Peter said it like this in 1 Peter 4.19. If you are suffering according to God's will, okay, keep on doing what is right and trust yourself to the God who made you, for he will never fail you. I mean, how important is that to hear and, and, to, and to, to keep that instruction? If you are suffering according to God's will, if, if you're doing God's will and in that, there's suffering that's coming your way. And that can happen. We know that can happen. You can be following God's ways and there's going to be suffering, suffering that can come against you because people will see your holiness and hate you for what you're doing. And so that's what he's saying. If you are suffering according to God's will, just keep doing what's right. And trust yourself to God who made you, and he will never fail you. See, that's what we oftentimes think. God, you're going to fail me in this situation. And, and Peter says, no, God will never fail you. He'll be right there with you. He'll bring you through this. I mean, he'll help you get through it. And so trust yourself to him. I mean, we see it in Scripture all over the place, don't we? We see it like in the life of Joseph, who was mistreated unfairly and sold into slavery in Egypt. And yet, God will use him to preserve the, the family lineage so that they all live. We see it in the life of Queen Esther and Mordecai and, and how they were abused and yet how God raised them up even in that time of suffering where, you know, somebody needed to step forward and she did. And, and she saved the, the people of, of Israel. She saved that nation. And remember the gallows were made for them to hang on? And how God twisted the story around and Haman, the one who had the gallows made to hang Esther and Mordecai, see, became the gallows that he lost his life on. And then you think of Apostle Paul and how Paul was put into jail unfairly. Nothing that he did wrong. And yet what happens when he's in jail? He writes to the people in Philippi. And I don't have this on the screen, but just listen to what he has to say. He says, now I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served the advancement of the gospel. In other words, I, you're not going to see it. It's not clear, but I want to tell you what's happening. The gospel is advancing. 
because I'm in jail. The gospel is moving forward and it's happening because I was put in jail. And here's how it's happening. He goes on to tell him, as a result, it's become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. I am in chains for Christ. Because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. You see, one of the things that we need to remember is that when we're being unfairly treated, and we know it's unfairness, see, it's at that moment that we have to take our eyes on what somebody's doing to us and put our eyes on God. And we need to believe that God can make all things work together for the good of those who are love him and are called according to his purpose. We need to keep our focus on what God's doing in our lives. You know, I don't know if you've ever heard of this pastor, Bob Coy, um, pastor down in Mega Church for a number of years down in, in uh, Fort Lauderdale, Florida. And he had a guy in his church who was a, a, a waiter in one of the restaurants there. And th- their boss told all the ones who were working there that they needed to now keep track of the tips that they made to report the tips and so that they could find out. And, and, and what happened is that these other workers thought that the boss was doing it so that if they were making too big a tips that they would reduce the, their income level so they wouldn't have to pay him as much. And so they conspired together and said, let's not do what our boss is asking us to do, but let's only tell them that we're only receiving half of what we get. So every time they got a tip, they would report only half of it. So that was a plan of all of them, except for this one guy who said, I'm not going to do that. I can't do that. And he refused to do it. And he came to his pastor, Bob, and he said, you know, pastor, you know, what should I do? It feels like that would be wrong to do that. What should I do? And his pastor said, do the right thing. Do the right thing. You know what you need to do, so do the right thing. And so he did. Where everybody else reported half of what they got, he reported the full amount that he got. Now, that looked funny in some ways. And, they, and the people who were on, working at that restaurant did everything they could to make him look bad so his tips would go down. And so they do all kinds of things. That, you know, the food didn't come out on time and he had to apologize to his t- table and all this kind of stuff was going on. But eventually it became clear that when the owner came in and looked at what the books were telling him, he could see, according to the owner, he could see that this guy made a lot more than these other workers he was the one person that made more than all these others and he asked them about it and he said well i'm just telling you the tips i got this is what i got and the owner realized what was going on and it it, it says according to bob pastor bob the owner said we've been looking for an honest young man to be part of our management team and that day that young man was invited to be a part of the management team that was running that restaurant. Now, those kind of things don't happen all the time, do they? But when they do, isn't it? I mean, that's the exciting thing to think about, that God will honor us in those times when we trust him and do the right thing. And so even when it comes to those times when people are treating us unfairly, we don't look at that. We look at God and say, God, I want to do that the right way. And I'm going to trust you to take care of what's happening at this level. Let me give you a third choice that we need to make when life is treating us unfairly. Again, put it in the in uh, context of you 
being treated unfairly by somebody. Not just a general thing, but by somebody. What do you do in that situation? You choose to see it as a character-building opportunity. We have to see it that way, don't we? We have to choose to see it as a character-building opportunity. What did Paul say in Romans 8? He said, suffering produces perseverance, and perseverance produces character. Suffering produces perseverance, and perseverance produces character. And we know the word for perseverance. It's the word endurance. Suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character. And the word for character there could also be interpreted like this. Approvedness. Being approved by God. You know, that's a big deal. It's a big deal. It's so big that Peter writes about it. And he says, a person might have to suffer. Listen to this. A person might have to suffer even when it is unfair. But if he thinks of God and stands the pain, God is pleased. And I hope that's you. I hope that's what you want. That in all you do, even when the fairness of life comes, that what you are able to do is see that if you endure, if you stand fast, if you keep doing what's right, that, that will be the thing that will put you in the category of living by a higher standard that's pleasing to God. So let me just wrap this up. Are you willing to live by a higher standard? I mean, we live in a world where, you know, somebody does me wrong, I'm going to get back at them. We're seeing that being played out across our nation right now in a big way, don't we? We see the, the, the slogan is, no justice, no peace. That's what you see on the, the standard of all the riots that are taking place across the cities in our nation. No justice, no peace. In other words, you don't do what we want, you don't give us what we expect, you don't treat us fairly, then there's going to be violence that you're going to have to endure. There's going to be no peace until justice is given. That's not our standard, is it? Our standard is what? Love, trust, character. And when we can do that in a world that demands justice and we can show love, we can show trust, and we can show character building, it can make a big difference to the people around us. And that's a standard that our Lord has called us to live by. And with the hope of the Holy Spirit working in us, I believe that it's possible. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you again that you are such a good God. And that even in those times when we feel that things are going out of kilter and, and things are coming against us and we don't feel the fairness of what we're experiencing, there's still something that can happen that's for our good and for your pleasure. And that is for us to love in response, to trust you, and to let you build that character into our lives through what we're going through. And so, Father, help us see that. Give us eyes so we can comprehend how the higher standard that you set for us can be played out in our lives in a really good, good way. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.